0: Before the coronavirus reached the U.S., it seemed that immigration would be the defining issue of the Trump presidency, perhaps of our generation. A weekend of protests over President Trump's immigration crackdown. The wall is heavily under construction. The Army Corps of Engineers is doing a great job. The question of of how countries admit immigrants and asylum seekers has become a dilemma across the world, a downright crisis. What are we to do? Income inequality, resource scarcity, and war, they affect the world unevenly. Mass migration has been met with outright hostility in some countries, particularly ones like ours that flirt with a politically favorable form of nationalism. I know there's no easy solution, and sometimes it just felt like we were inching towards a kind of bloodless civil war over this issue in the States. And as with everything else during coronavirus, those conflicts that frayed the social fabric. They only get worse.
1: Late last night, out of Washington, President Trump tweeting that he's going to suspend immigration due to the coronavirus. Uh, Eamon Javers joins us this morning with the
0: latest. So, the thousands of migrants and asylum seekers locked in detention centers across the U.S., what is life like for them right now? From Neon Hum Media, this is Telescope. I'm your host, Jonathan Hirsch. And Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for the foreseeable future, we're going to bring you stories of people who are far away, up close, and how each of us are learning to live through this pandemic. Christian Sanchez is an immigration attorney for an organization called Raices.
1: I work in San Antonio, Texas mostly representing detained immigrants in their removal proceedings at a detention
0: center. Christian grew up in Texas, in the Rio Grande Valley, which is right on the border between the U.S. and Mexico.
1: The very southern tip of Texas. My mom is an immigrant, and so were and are a lot of people in my community. And immigration was always just a part of my daily life.
0: And so was immigration enforcement.
1: Down there, you see Border Patrol cars just as much as you see police cars.
0: When he became an attorney, representing people like his mom, he felt like he was using his education for good. Today, he mostly represents LGBTQ asylum seekers. Most of his clients are from Central America, and some of them are in detention at the South Texas ICE Processing Center. It's known as Pearsall because it's in Pearsall, Texas.
1: At Pearsall, there's something called a transgender section or pod, where transgender detainees are kept uh, separate from general population. And I've been representing that group for more than a year.
0: COVID is spreading across the country. And like any place with a lot of people in close quarters, detention centers are not safe right now. I've driven past Pearsall before. In fact, I used to report on immigration. And detention centers tend to be tucked away and nondescript. This is done by design. Pearsall is located off a quiet stretch of freeway south of San Antonio. It's almost rural. The town of Pearsall that surrounds the detention center, it's small. Just a flash of a building as you drive by in a sea of big sky and tall grass. You know, it's important to remember that not everyone who applies for asylum is in detention. Most people have some kind of support network. Some live with their relatives. You still need to appear in court, and you often need to get a lawyer. If you have the means to, of course. But all of this is harder to do if you're at a facility like Pearsall, Christian says. Fighting your case from inside a detention center can be impossibly hard.
1: You go from your cell to court, and you get to meet with your attorney in these visitation rooms. It's hard to connect or contact family members, uh, get specialists in there to do evaluations. There's all sorts of barriers that are present when you're detained that you wouldn't have to deal with if you weren't detained, including the kind of anxiety and isolation that comes with being detained that wouldn't be an issue if you were with your family.
0: Christian says that adequate medical services in Pearsall were already difficult to obtain for clients before the pandemic.
1: It's hard to get medical attention. It's hard to get referred out to a specialist. One of my clients has braces. She's she's out of detention right now, but she had braces and um, they had broken and were poking her in her gums. And she was told that there were no dental services for braces at the detention center and that they would not refer her to a specialist. So they would not do anything about it. And it bothered her so much and, and it was cutting her. So she removed her own braces herself using nail clippers. I've had several clients who tell me that you have to already be passed out or bleeding for them to consider it an emergency situation. Anything before you put your name on the list and you see the doctor the next day That that's there. And all of them um, you know, universally say... The only thing the doctor will do is give you ibuprofen or Tylenol and send you on your way.
0: And his clients who are trans are especially vulnerable.
1: So every single complication is just doubled by the disenfranchisement, the discrimination, the shunning in society.
0: Some of his clients are HIV positive and taking medication for the first time. Others are in the middle of transitioning.
1: And some of them have just started taking hormones or continuing hormones from the past. So there's all these these other layers on there that make detention particularly difficult and dangerous.
0: Christian told me about one of his clients who needed to see an eye doctor while she was in detention. In her home
1: country, she had been trafficked and tortured. And in one of those severe beatings she received, she was hit by a pipe in the eye and had to have basically a corneal transplant. And while she's in detention, her eye starts bleeding and she starts losing vision.
0: So she's at Pearsall, she's trying to get help, trying to get medical care, and is eventually taken to a specialist. During that first visit with the ophthalmologist, they told her, if you don't get surgery eventually, you're going to lose all the vision in your eye. So when she started having problems again, was really scared
1: and she really struggled getting medical care for what was going on and she would just spontaneously start bleeding out of her eye
0: they were finally prepared to take her to the doctor
1: and she couldn't get into the van in handcuffs and they refused to assist her so um, they ended up not taking her because she was saying she was asking them to take off her handcuffs so that's something that happened recently during the coronavirus situation
0: Christian is already scared for his clients and now with coronavirus their lives are endangered in a whole new way.
1: It's like these two layers this this layer of of being detained and that as a horrible situation and then coronavirus and and the fear of that. So there's no social distancing in detention. Everyone is together. They they sleep near each other, they spend time near each other, they eat on one long table. So my clients are very well aware that as soon as somebody gets it, they're all going to get it.
0: He says he hasn't seen employees at the facility wearing masks or gloves.
1: It's a tinderbox. The government is not prepared to protect them in that situation. And they've created these environment where somebody can't protect themselves. There's no access to antibacterial, but... Even more, the the anxiety that is caused by being detained, by fighting for your life, and the fear of coronavirus, that is gonna affect your body and and your ability to fight disease and infection. And for my clients who are transgender, if they have HIV or or transitioning, that's even scarier, that's more risk of coronavirus. I feel, and they all feel, it's just a matter of
0: time. And it might already be too late. ICE released a statement that two people tested positive for coronavirus at the South Texas detention complex. And according to the ICE website, that number as of this recording is now six detainees.
1: The details aren't very clear and we we don't know a lot. For example, we don't know how many people were tested, how many people are being tested, what measures are being taken to like test everybody or to quarantine other people. That information we don't know. And it's scary because it'll spread like wildfire
0: there's been very little communication about COVID with the detainees. And the absence of information makes Christian's clients feel like the government doesn't care about their safety.
1: For weeks, nobody said anything. And this is deep into March, into April, that there's never been an official warden, guard, supervisor. Somebody from ICE, somebody from GEO, which is a private contractor that runs the facility. No doctor, nobody has come and said anything. Not one scrap of information. Not, this is what we're doing to protect you from the coronavirus. This is what you should be doing. Nothing. Overnight, some wall signs appeared that said, cough into your elbow and and wash your hands more frequently. But there was nothing, there was no sort of communication.
0: For me, part of how I've been making it through this time is trying to exert some kind of control over the things that I can. Washing my hands, keeping my distance. But Christian's clients can't do that. They're still watching the news in detention. They're seeing the same messages we're all seeing about how to stay safe. But they can't follow those guidelines.
1: I think there's just a feeling of powerlessness. There's no way to social distance themselves if they wanted. Bunk beds is where they sleep. And and several of my clients have reported that other fellow detainees are sick and have coughs.
0: The staff at Pearsall have implemented some precautions.
1: And, you know, when I visit a client, they come into the room, they get a squirt of antibacterial, they get their own pen, I have Kleenex there in case they need to cough or sneeze, and after every client, I have a Clorox wipe to wipe down the table. That is not something that I should have to be doing myself.
0: There were also new visitation rules at Pearsall, Christian is required to wear a mask and gloves when he's there. And it's harder for him to meet with his clients face to face in the same room.
1: You are pressed to do like window visitation, which is kind of like a prison system where there's phones. and But those phones aren't secure, so you don't know if you're secure. And every time I talk to my client, I make a statement saying, this is you know, confidential between me and my, my client. If anybody's listening or recording, please stop that at this moment. So that is a little bit more difficult.
0: Christian says these restrictions are making it harder for him to do his job, and he's not alone. COVID is impacting all of the organizations that provide resources and help for people at facilities like Pearsall.
1: Offices are closed. Organizations are closed. People aren't responding to my emails. You know, the the type of organizations that provide assistance are like maxed out and are at capacity. So that is definitely a consideration. It's, it's made something that's already really difficult because of the vulnerability of the client and the environment that we're in is heightened by the current situation we're in. I have a client who is running out of hormones, her medication and her prescription for hormones. And in the past, it was easier to find organizations that would assist. And I'm struggling to find an organization to assist her to get a new prescription and to pay for the medication, the hormones. And, and, but it's a lot more than that. She doesn't have a car. She can't drive. And so it's more than just not having hormones. It's who's going to take her to the doctor to get that prescription.
0: The clock is ticking. She needs to get her hormones by the time her last prescription runs out. And of course, she also has to avoid getting COVID because that would derail her plans entirely.
1: It's definitely a struggle because you're worried about that call, like where your your client's going to, you know, a family member of your client calls and says, I just talked to him and he has, he's positive for coronavirus. or Or, you know, just anything else, it's definitely really weighs uh, heavy on your mind.
0: Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah
1: Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? (laughs) Some peasant Coke? (laughs) No.
0: Christian sees an easy solution. Release them. That's really the
1: only way to ensure that people um, are not in this tinderbox of possible infection and that they do get sick that they'll get adequate, appropriate care. Because I don't have any faith at all that somebody's going to get adequate protection or medical care in that facility. Uh, many don't have any criminal issues or have not broken any law at all and have sponsors or people who can take them. So I think you could reduce the population greatly. If if that can't happen, then at least the bare minimum is, is protective uh, equipment for the detainees and the ability to distance yourself from others and improving medical care, improving, you know, even things down to the food so that people can adequately care for their health. So I think that's, that's what needs to happen. And if, if, if not, I just am really scared for what's in store.
0: Thanks to Christian for sharing his story. And one more thing. Every week we hear dozens of stories about people who are trying to make sense of this crisis. We've asked you to record voice memos of your lives in isolation. At the end of every episode, We're gonna share them here. Pia Vincent is a dancer and choreographer. Since quarantine started, she's had more time to rediscover old skills. Here she is, tap dancing in her kitchen in Los Angeles. Pia says her tapping skills were a little rusty, and this was the perfect time to practice. Thanks for sharing, Pia. You can share your sounds of isolation with us too to send a voice memo recording to pitches at neonhum.com. Telescope is made possible by the world-class team of producers, editors, and engineers that make up Neon Hum Media. John Asanti is the managing producer of Telescope. Today's episode was produced by Haley Faker. Our editors are Vikram Patel and Catherine St. Louis. Our engineer is Scott Somerville. Thanks to Matt McGinley for our theme music and to Blue Dot Sessions for additional tracks you hear on this episode. We want to stay connected to you during this unprecedented time in our history. So please don't be shy. Share your stories with us. Our DMs are always open. Email us your story. We're also interested in hearing what life in isolation sounds like to you. We welcome your voice memo recordings. You can email them to pitches at neonhum.com. And also join our Facebook group by searching for Telescope. If you like this show, please remember to rate and review on iTunes. I'm Jonathan Hirsch. We'll see you on Wednesday.